chapter 10. I'm just going to read. It's a short chapter, 11 verses. Let's read through, and then we'll work our way uh, from the beginning of the chapter. Here's what God's Word says. I, remember this is John, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever who created heaven and the things that are in it the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, go, take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. I don't know about you. I've taught this book a number of times now. And this week, studying and preparing, I'm wondering, why in the world is this chapter in here? Like, it doesn't seem to fit. It just, there's something about this chapter. And then I began to kind of just pray and put myself in John's shoes. Can you imagine what John has seen thus far in the Revelation? Just last week, you guys remember last week? Were you guys here last week? Y'all remember, it was heavy last week, wasn't it? Two demonic invasions, half the planet being killed in the first half of the tribulation, at least half the the planet, do you think that would have effect on you? I think it would. Seeing all of that, some of us have seen stuff that has taken our breath away, that has caused us to to have a heavy heart, to to pain us inside the things we see, the things we've witnessed. I think personally, in this chapter, John is being recharged. He is being refreshed in this chapter, and he's being refreshed and recharged with the Word of God. Being recharged is not just for for iPhones and Teslas. We all need it, don't we, to be recharged, to be refreshed in our walk with the Lord. 
And so, remember, we are looking at the period in the future known as the tribulation period, the great tribulation, or the day of the Lord, and God is dealing with planet Earth. He's dealing with the world, and he is going to fix everything. And we are seeing how he is fixing everything. The world is damaged. It is dying. Is the world getting gooder and gooder? No way. It is damaged and dying, getting worse and worse. And so how does God fix it? How does God redeem it? How does he bring heaven to earth and still honor man's personal choice? Think about that with me. How does God do that and still honor the personal choice of man? Well, in wrath, God remembers mercy. As we see God's wrath upon planet Earth, we see him reaching out over and over and over to reach lost men and women. Why? Because God's heart burns for the lost. And I think how, you know, studying and reading and leaving last week, my heart was personally, it was broken to realize what's going to happen to some of the people I know, perhaps I've met those that don't repent and get their hearts right with Jesus. And I think some of us, the takeaway from last week was, oh, that's an interesting chapter. Let's keep rolling. For some of us, let me, let me go and debate the pastor about this and that. They become sermon connoisseurs. You know what a connoisseur is? Oh, that was a good year. Well, that wasn't too good. You know what I'm saying? It's like this should have, going through God's word, should have a profound effect on our hearts and our lives and how we respond in light of what he reveals to us. What is God trying to tell us this morning? What is he trying to communicate to us? I know he wants us to know him more. I know he has something for you and for me to walk in. I know some of us need to be recharged this morning, to be re-encouraged, to be reinvigorated, and it happens by drawing near to Jesus and getting into his word. Amen. And so the context is we've been looking at events um, that will happen in the first half of the tribulation period in chapter 6 through 9. And now we are moving towards the events which will happen at the middle of the tribulation in chapter 10 through 13. I hope that kind of helps some people out this morning kind of give us a little more uh, understanding of where we are in this seven-year period. We left off with the sixth trumpet. Y'all remember that last week? Sixth trumpet. And now we come to, really, it's a pause. Just like between the sixth and the seventh seal, wasn't there a pause? Wasn't there an intermission? Y'all remember that? And we get a view of what's happening behind the scenes. We get, in other words, we get more information, more insight to what is happening during this time period and, and kind of the backstory too of what's happening. John's been seeing these little, these little videos or these little trailers for what's gonna be happening on planet Earth, but then there's a pause and we get more information, again, more insight to help us understand what is going on. Does that make sense during this time period? So crucial. And so God is saying it's time to finally fix all this in the tribulation period. And so there's a flow, there's a flow a certain way, systematically, chronologically, the book is rolling out if you simply read it. And so here in chapter 10, what does John see? John says, I saw still another angel, this is a mighty angel, coming down from heaven. Isn't that a breath of fresh air? We saw a bunch of demons coming out of the pit and that were bound last week. Isn't it refreshing to see an angel coming from heaven? So John sees this powerful angel 
leaving the glory of heaven and coming to earth. And this is one of the angels that did not leave their first estate. Remember, one third of the angels fell with Satan in his rebellion. We're going to, read, we're going to learn more about that in Revelation chapter 12. That means two thirds are on our side. Amen. <laughs> two thirds are on our side and uh, they remain loyal to God. And we know as we study the scriptures, heaven is the abode of angels, and they are dispatched to do God's work, to do God's will. Hebrews chapter 1, last verse, tells us that angels are ministering spirits who minister to those who will inherit salvation. Who's going to inherit salvation? Anyone here this morning? That means angels are on our side, the two-thirds that are helping us at work um, on our behalf. And so John gives a physical description of this mighty angel. What's he wearing? He's dressed with a cloud. He's got this rainbow, this halo of beautiful color on his head. He also has feet. Notice what it says, like. John's doing his best to describe this. His face, his face like the sun, super bright, super radiant, right? And then he talks about his feet like pillars, of fire or columns of fire. And, and you read that and some commentators, some Bible teachers, some Bible students immediately point to this being Jesus. Sounds like Jesus. Some of the descriptions are familiar um, that are related to Jesus. Um, Jesus is repeatedly called the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, but that was pre-incarnate. That was before he came as a babe in Bethlehem. He's never called an angel in the book of Revelation. In fact, when Jesus comes to get his church, what's that called when he comes to get us? The rapture. When he comes to get us, we're going to meet him in the air. He's going to take us to the Father's house, and he doesn't come back. He's not coming back until his second coming to this earth to set up his kingdom. Not somewhere in the middle of the tribulation does he come, but at the end of the tribulation um, when all is going to be said and done. And so, um, and please note the word another. That word another angel literally in the Greek means another angel of the same kind. So another angel like the one, the other angels we've been reading about. And, and I would just point out Jesus is, um, he is, he isn't like any other thing at all. He, is, he alone is Lord. He alone is God. He is holy. He is holy and he is the creator. Everything else is creation. Angels are created by him. They're not his co-equal. And so he's not like another anything else. He is unlike anything or anyone else. Like we just sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Some people say this is uh, Michael, the archangel, or Gabriel, the archangel. What do you say, pastor? I say it's another mighty angel coming down from heaven. <laughs> from the presence of God. Here he comes. And he is, he's, it's awesome in sight, the way he's described here. But he's huge. He's giant. And what does he have in his hand? A little book. That's open, and this word little book is different from the seven-sealed scroll we saw earlier in chapter 5. Remember when Jesus went to the Father, and he took what, the seven-sealed scroll? This is a little scroll, or a little book is the description in the Greek. And so, little book, giant angel. Notice how big he is. He's straddling the what? The sea and the land. That's got to be a huge angel, right? But I think something's being communicated from heaven here. With everything that's going on 
all of the all of the chaos, all of the pain, all of the suffering going on, everything that's happening during this time period, during the tribulation, I think it's what's being communicated by God's representative is he comes with the authority of heaven and he's reminding everyone that God is in control. Comes down, boom, boom, plants his feet there, this angel that's dispatched, and what does he do? He lifts up his voice like a, like a lion. What's a lion? Anybody ever heard a lion? Meow. What do they do? It's it's loud, powerful. Does it get your attention? It gets your attention. And so notice when the mighty angel lifted up his voice, seven thunders responded and spoke. Isn't that interesting? So things are getting interesting. Things are getting mysterious. So the mighty angel roars right? And then seven thunders begin to speak. Look at verse four. The seven thunders spoke something that was understandable, that was intelligible. It wasn't just gibberish. It wasn't just noise, like like thunder crashing. John heard something communicated. And so what does he do? He picks up his quill and he gets ready to do what? He gets ready to write down what was spoken, what was communicated. And what's, what's John doing? He's just being obedient to Jesus, isn't he? Remember chapter one, Jesus told John two times, write down everything that you see. Everything that happens, I want you to write it down and to pass it along to the church. And so John's just being obedient here, correct? You guys see that with me? He's getting ready to write it down. However, a heavenly voice says something, right? Told John to do what? Don't write it down. Don't share this with anyone. In other words, it's confidential. It's confidential. You can't tell anyone what was said. Can you imagine when John finally got off the Isle of Patmos and he got to the church of Ephesus? What do you think people were saying to him, coming up to him? John, you can tell me what they said. I, I promise not to tell anyone. Isn't that what we do in the church? You can tell me, I won't tell anybody. And then what do you do? You go to the next person, please tell me. Okay, but you can't tell anybody. (laughs) So it's sealed up. John is the only one who knows what they communicated. The identity, listen, the identity of the seven thunders and what they communicated remains completely unknown to us to this day. But you know what commentators do? Do you know what a commentator is? It's been said a commentator is a run-of-the-mill potato from the Midwest. Some of you get that later. Commentator, you'll get it later. It's okay. (laughs) Endless speculation. Here's what they said. I know what they said. We don't know. He wasn't allowed to write it or share it. And what's the answer? So what's the answer, Pastor? What do we do with this? Here's what we do. We don't need to know or we're incapable of knowing. And there's a lesson here, super important lesson, and it is foundational. Please listen this morning. This is a foundational lesson in our relationship with the Lord. It is important to honor the silences of God. Don't, please don't miss that. There are reasons for God's silence in our lives and in the scripture. Are you with me this morning? There are some things that we don't need to know. There are some things we cannot know because why? Because we are finite and he is infinite. 
I'm seeing some blank stares. Do you know what I'm talking about, gang? I, there are some things I don't know about Tanya. I'm still trying to figure out. Did I dig myself in a hole? I put myself in a hole there? I don't understand how her pancreas works and the synapses in her brain connect. I still love her with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. There are some things I don't understand in the scriptures. I don't understand how God's sovereignty and man's responsibility works together. They seem to be polar opposites, but the Bible teaches both. How is, how is Jesus both 100% man and 100% God? How do you explain that? I don't. God doesn't ask me to explain it. He asks me to what? To trust him. And there's some things we just can't understand. I think about, I think about Job. You guys remember Job? What happened with Job? He, he suffered horrifically. Correct? The dude suffered like gnarly trial in his life. Trial after trial. And what did he do? After the, his golfing buddies came, right? His, his counselors... They began to say stuff. He began to stay. He began to speculate on what was wrong. They began to fill his head with a bunch of nonsense too. And also, not only that, he began to demand answers. Job began to demand to, for God to give him understanding, to have a, a little powwow with God, if you will. He came super close to blaspheming the Lord. He didn't. And what did God do? Remember what God did? <laughs> He gave him a test, didn't he? Uh, the, are you qualified to be God test? 70 questions he gave to Job. You guys remember that? We studied that book. One after another. Boom, boom, boom. And God did not give Job an explanation. But what did he do? He gave him a greater revelation of himself. That's so crucial. Because I can trust God with what I don't know because of what I do know about him. So those things that he does reveal, in fact, it says, if you're taking notes this morning, um, it's in Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this Law. I love that. The secret things belong to the Lord. The things he reveals to us, those are ours. We hold on to them. We cherish those things that he reveals to us. There are still things I'm reading the Bible, and it's like I'm waiting for further insight. I've tucked them away in a file, and I'm okay with that. Are you okay with that this morning? Some of us aren't. Some of us, we need every I dotted, T's crossed, tied up in a little bow, and a little kiss to go with it. And we're not okay Can I encourage you, if you are trying to understand something God has sealed, don't do it. That doesn't, mean don't, that doesn't mean don't dig deep into his word and to seek him when you don't know something. But please trust him by faith. Perhaps he'll disclose it at a different time later on. Or perhaps may not happen until we get home to be in heaven. We have to be okay and trust him. Remember when Jesus was on the cross? He said, my God, my God, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you what? forsaken me. Jesus didn't understand. There was silence from heaven. God, Dad, where are you? There had never been a time ever in eternity past ever in their relationship between the Father and the Son with that kind of a disconnect. As the Lord hung there and bore our sins and our trash and our garbage, there was a disconnect. The Son's wondering, Dad, where are you? 
But then he said in his dying breath, into your hands I commit my spirit. I can't, I can't trace you, but I'll trust you. So important. When we don't understand, we got to keep trusting, keep looking to the Lord. And so just want to encourage you guys in that this morning. And so he goes on, verse 5. It says the giant, powerful angel who was straddling the, the, the land and the sea. What does he do? He lifts up his hand and he swears an oath. And who does he swear it by? He swears it by the eternal creator, our Lord and Savior, right? By him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the earth and the sea and all the things that are in it and on it. And so what does he say? What's, what's the oath he's saying here? That time has expired. There should be delay no longer that the clock is run out. The clock is run out. There's no turning back for those on planet Earth. Time is up. In fact, he goes on to say, but in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished. Notice, please, as he declared to his servants, the prophets, when the seventh trumpet is blown by the seventh angel, what is he saying here? God's mystery would be complete. That which was spoken of by God's servants, the prophets, God's servants throughout the scriptures have spoke about what? Spoke about the second coming of Jesus Christ, the setting up of the millennial kingdom. Does God keep his word? Is God faithful to his promises? Absolutely. That is what is being communicated here. God will keep his word. In fact, his kingdom, it speaks about his kingdom throughout the prophets in the book of Psalms as well. Um, it speaks of his kingdom. When it gets set up, it will be marked by peace and righteousness. Jesus will be ruling and reigning. And what else? We will be ruling and reigning with him. Do you, do you know that this morning? Do you know right now you're being prepared for the throne? Why this trial? Why this heaviness? Peter tells us that the genuineness, our, genuineness of our faith will be tested like gold. When we get tested, is it to see, does, is God like not have the information? Why do we get, why, do, why does he allow us to go through testing? So that we can seek, right, where our faith is. He allows us to go through hard times, difficulty, suffering, whatever it might be, and he's purifying our hearts. We're being molded and shaped, conformed to the, the image of Jesus Christ. We embrace that. He is, listen, this morning, he is faithful to his word. That's the point that's being made here. His word is reliable. How much news out there is reliable today? That got some of your attention, finally. It's, it's pretty much untrustworthy. Constant state of flux. Who's telling the truth? Who's not telling the truth? What is the truth? Can I, can I remind us this morning that God's word is truth? That it is sure, listen, it is stable. John's being reminded, listen, all what's going down, all that's going to go down is coming to pass exactly as God said it were, would through his servants, the prophets. And what you're going to see, it's not something brand new that God just came up with. He's been talking about it all along. In fact, as we look at this, we're reminded that God's word is pure. It is sure that we can't, listen, we don't put our trust in circumstances. We put our trust in his word this morning. 
It will not fail. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, what, shall never pass away. His words are eternal. Listen, God is in control. Do you guys believe that this morning? Yes. That God's in control this morning. Yes. Everything is going to turn out exactly as he planned, as he said. And can I remind you this morning that you're going to make it. That all things are working together for good if you love him. That he has begun a good work in you. He's going to finish it. That Jesus is coming for his children. He's gone to prepare a place for us. And if he, he said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Listen, let me remind you this morning. And I hope this is a comfort to some of you. God's word will have the final say in your life. No matter how difficult it is right now. No matter how hard things are right now. God's word will have the final say, not your circumstances, not your situation, not your whatever. God's word will have the final say in your life, and we can rejoice in that, Lord, thank you. It doesn't look, it doesn't, I got more month than money, Mike, I don't know. Jesus said, you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. If I turn the, if I turn the other cheek, I'm going to be a loser here. And what happens? You do it, and you see God's wisdom in it. You give this person grace. You forgive this. There's no way to love my enemy. I can't do that. And then you step out and do it. And what has God, his word has the final say. Every time. And so John being reminded here of a number of different things. One thing is seal this up, John. Don't reveal it. It's meant for you to hold on to. Second is what? Is that God's word is sure. His prophetic word is sure. And so as we read this, look at the end of that one verse, the end of verse six, the phrase, there should be delay no longer. Why was there a delay? Why is there a delay? Can I remind us again that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God does not delight in the death of the wicked, Ezekiel 33. Again, pray, would you pray for me on that? My heart is like so far from the Lord in that so many times. Because there's times I'm like, oh, get them, Lord. Take them out, man. Wipe them out. And it's like, what about me? God was so merciful. God, you're so gracious. You were so patient when I was in rebellion to you and doing the things I was doing and saying. And Lord, you would forgive me and give me a second chance, a fresh start. Thank you so much. How can I deny anybody else from having that? And so, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a really good person. Getting better and better. A wretch. Listen, but the time is coming. Please listen. The time is coming when there will be no more delay. That's what's being communicated. Evil will be finished. Good will prevail. The whole totality of the prophetic word will be fulfilled. It's going to come to pass. And those people that mock God, they mock his coming, they mock us. How, how sad because they're mocking him because of his patience. He's being patient with them. He's wanting to, re to reach them through you and I. He loves those people. He gave his son to die for those people that irk us, that tick us off, that make us angry, that bum us out. And the reason for the delay is that more people might be rescued. But Jesus is coming. Listen, he is coming. 
And his first coming, he fulfilled all of those prophecies and predictions literally and completely. And in his second coming, he will fulfill them literally and completely. Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Amen. Verse 8. Look what happens next. This is so good. The heavenly voice speaks again. The voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again. What does the voice say? Go and take the little book from the giant angel. Can you imagine? You got this giant angel, little book opened up. Hey, John, go get that little book. (laughs) So good. So, what does he do? He goes. John is now personally, don't miss this, John is now personally involved in the vision. He goes to the giant angel, and it almost doesn't sound very, with much manners, does it? Verse 9, give me the little book. (laughs) Or was it, give me the little book? (laughs) We don't know. Just give me the little book. And the angel tells him to take it, and eat, and then he gives John, it's interesting, he gives John a heads up on what's going to happen to him physically afterwards, right? Your stomach's going to be bitter. It's going to be sweet in your mouth. And I, this is my own opinion. This is my own opinion, okay? I believe the little book speaks of the judgment that is about to unfold as we move forward to the final bowl judgments and then further into the future, the millennial kingdom, great white throne, new heaven, new earth, and how glorious that's going to be. The best is yet to come. No doubt, I have no doubt in my mind, this is the word of God. It is an edible book, and we're going to see in just a moment why. Oh, in verse 11, we know why, because you have to prophesy again. What he received, he had to give out. He had to give out God's word. And so this little book, again, I believe is God's word. It's an edible book. What does that mean? It's an edible book. Sometimes you hear, sometimes you ask someone, how'd you like that book? I loved it. I devoured it. You guys ever heard that? To eat something means to internalize it, right? You eat something, you, you go to the dinner table, everybody eats, right? Together, it, now the, it becomes a part of us, the food. You know what I'm talking about? You guys go out after church and you go to Torchies and pig out and it shows later on. Doesn't that happen when we take in the, the real word, the word of God? It shows in our lives. It should. For John, that's the imagery here. For John, eat Eating this scroll, eating this little book speaks of eating God's word, internalizing it. It becomes a part of him. What do you mean by that? That's Ezekiel chapter 2. Let's flip over there real quick. I'm going to read a few verses. Ezekiel chapter 2. Because it's, it's exactly like what happened to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, remember the prophet ministering to the children of Israel while in captivity. Chapter 2, so good. I don't even know where to start, it's so good. How about, this is verse 8. How are we doing on time? Oh, we got an hour and a half. Is that what it says? 
Then he, this is verse one. And then he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. Then the spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet. And I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, son of man, that's the, what he says to Ezekiel, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. For they are impotent or stiff-faced and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God, as for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house, you shall speak my words to them. So good. Whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. Are you guys seeing the connection here? Ezekiel's given this little book to eat, to consume. It's sweet. It's sweet as honey going down. He has to internalize it. It's the Lord's words that he has to give to a rebellious people. Do you guys see that with me? And then it says later, what happened when he, when he went, verse 14 of that chapter, so the spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness, in the heat of my spirit, but the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. Hey, it's a heavy message. Oh, it tastes sweet. It's heavy, what I have to deliver. But God's hand was upon me. He's the one that strengthened me to do it. And so John here, again, imagine what he's seeing, all the stuff he's seeing and hearing. It's gnarly. It's heavy. Man, it's like gut punches at one after another. And now all of a sudden, here he's getting handed the word of God to consume, to internalize. This imagery is found elsewhere in scripture, isn't it? Job said, I have treasured the words of his mouth, of God's mouth, more than my necessary food. The psalmist said, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Jeremiah said, your words were found and I ate them and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Peter said to do what? We as God's children, as newborn babes are to desire the pure milk of the word of God that we may grow thereby. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? By every word. That proceeds from the mouth of God. 
And so we see throughout the scriptures, his word is likened to food, likened to milk, likened to meat. And so verse 10, what does John do? He did as he was told. And I love this. And the results were exactly as he was told. Isn't that cool? Oh, twofold effect. First, it was sweet in his mouth. And then second, it was bitter in his tummy. You guys see that? He did exactly what he was told, and it was exactly as it rolled out. And so, and that's, listen, this same twofold effect happens in believers when we take God's word in and internalize it. Correct? Me? Aren't there sweet parts of God's word? God's grace. Is it an amazing, amazing grace? Yes. His love. Oh, yes. His forgiveness. Isn't his forgiveness sweet? Heaven. All our tears wiped away. No more pain. No more suffering. The praise and worship session going on in heaven. I don't know if you guys like praise and worship. I love it. My girls don't like when I sing in the house, but that's cool. (laughs) My voice is going to be glorified when we get there. By the time it gets to heaven, it sounds amazing. the Lord with us, bearing fruit through our lives, serving him, seeing fruit, seeing God use our lives. Isn't that sweet? As he promises in his word. The rapture, isn't the rapture? We read about the rapture, how sweet that is. We read about the new, we're going to be standing there when our dad makes something out of nothing, new heavens and a new earth. Wow. That's sweet, isn't it? But then there's bitterness. There's painful portions. Reading about eternal separation from God in hell. The consequences of sin. God's judgment, recognizing that there are, we have family, we have friends, co-workers, neighbors that will end up on the wrong side of God's judgment. It hurts, doesn't it? Reading about the tribulation, what's going to happen. Listen, I had a hard time last week. Just, oh, there's no sweetness there. And think about it in your own life. James says the Bible's like a mirror, correct? Yes. What is a, a mirror? A physical mirror does what? It shows us our physical condition, correct? You go up and you look at the mirror and you got whatever, you got to comb your hair, or do up the makeup. We look into the mirror of God's word, and what does it do? It shows us our spiritual condition, right? And sometimes it's sweet, isn't it? Oh, I'm I'm chosen. Yeah, first-round draft pick by God. Thank you, Lord. How does that all work out? I got no clue. You didn't ask me to figure it out. Hallelujah. You love me unconditionally. Yes. And then he says, I want you to pluck out your eye if that thing you're struggling with that and cut off your hand. I don't see any pirates in here this morning, so. It's a hyperbole. Jesus is using hyperbole. But anything that would cause you to sin and keep you in that place of going the wrong direction, cut it out of your life. And then Jesus says, you want to follow me? You really really want to follow me? You take up your cross 
You deny yourself and take up your cross every day. He that is not with me is what? Is against me. He that doesn't gather with me, you're a scatterer. That's bitter, isn't it? But you find that it's sweet because when you do that, when you follow his instructions, it's like, oh, yes. That's where life is found. The self is the problem. The me is the problem. Me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity, needs to be put to death every day, constantly. Because myself is antichrist against Jesus Christ. But the spirit in me wants to go this direction. My flesh wants to go the other direction. It's like, no way, Jose. That's not what I call my flesh. But the old man, deny the self. Death to the self. Take up your cross. The best part is following Jesus. That's the sweet part. Seeing what he does in your life, what he does in your home. You see his wisdom is justified by his children. It's so awesome. Life begins to work, doesn't it, as we do it his way. Not that it's not difficult, but life begins to work. Marriage begins to work. Child raising begins to work. Ministry, serving him. The word of God is bitter. It's painful. We get challenged, but we repent. We confess. We make adjustments. And his spirit working in us, it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's glorious. It's sweet. And as John is having this experience, he, he takes the scroll. It's sweet. He eats it. And then there's bitterness and there's, it's heaviness and pain as he takes it in. But here's the deal. This is not the first time it's happened with other prophets besides Ezekiel either. It happened with Daniel. It happened with Habakkuk. You can go and check that out on your own. It's not something that's unnormal or unnatural. It's something that happens when we begin to read God's word and we begin to have a burden for what burdens the Lord. And we, we talk about revival, sing about revival. Do you know when revival happens? It's, it's when we come to Jesus. That's always where revival starts. But it's when God's people have the same burden that God has. We have the same burden that he has. I don't mean he's carrying around some heavy thing, the burden on his heart for those that are lost, those that are going to die apart from him. That's when revival happens. When our hearts are beating in time with his heart. Well, let's see how it finishes out. Look at verse 11. So good. Verse 11. So he ate it. It's in his stomach. Becomes bitter. And I think he's speaking of the contents of the book. And he said to me, you must. Great word to underline. If not in your heart, underline it. You must prophesy again about who? Many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. Isn't this beautiful? You know what he's saying? How old's John at this time, by the way? 90. 90. He's about 90 years old. You know what he's saying? Your ministry's not over. Your, min your ministry is not over over. You must speak concerning all these different people on the earth. And here's the deal. John could only give the word if he had the word in him. The apostle Paul said on a number of occasions, he said, that which I've received from the Lord, that which I've given to you. It's like the measles. You can't give them unless you got them. That doesn't resonate. It's like COVID. You can't give COVID unless you got it. Getting a little warmer. You can't give what you don't have. 
If you're not taking the word and internalizing it in your heart, I'm not just talking about a pep talk on, in your inbox or a little Devo. Talking about getting into the Word of God and allowing the Word of God to get into you, becoming a part of you. That's what's being communicated here. You can only, if, if you don't have the Word of God in you, you've got nothing to give. You're going to talk about the Astros and what's going on at the aquarium, price of houses up, down, down, up, inflation, Biden. You know what I'm saying? Nothing to give. Well, listen, why, why do men stop preaching the entire counsel of God's word? Think about that. Why do men, why do pastors, preachers, whatever you want to call us, why? Why do men stop preaching the entire counsel of God's word? All right, let me, let me put it this way. Why do they stop preaching the bitter and only the sweet? It's hard. It's hard. And Paul was right. Men will no longer endure sound doctrine the further we get into the last days. And there'll be, there'll be plenty of pastors that'll teach you what you share, what you want to hear, but not what you need to hear. They'll give the sweet, but not the bitter. Let's bring it a little closer to home. Why do people stop reading the whole Bible? Why do you, why'd you stop reading the whole Bible? It's not easy. What happens? I stop reading anything that challenges me, that's hard, that's difficult. And what do I only read? I only read the sweet. Oh, it's good, yeah. I'm gonna skip over this book. James, a little rough. <laughs> Correct? And the heavenly voice says what? You must. Some of it's sweet, some of it's bitter. You must proclaim the entire message to the entire world, John, Mike, brother, sister, servant of the Lord Most High. Who's our example in all things? Jesus delivered both the sweet and the bitter. To be like him is to accept both to embrace both, to receive both, to share both, to deliver both, to declare both, to be faithful to our Heavenly Father. Because the gospel is sweet and bitter, isn't it? Like you can't appreciate the good news until what? Till you know the bad news. Correct? Yes. There's bad news. It's bitter. If you're not a Christian, there's bad news for you this morning. You are a sinner. Your sin has separated you from God. You've broken God's law. You're guilty in his sight. You're not a good person. You're separated from a relationship with him. That's why your life is empty and void. That's why you're looking for love in all the wrong places. That's why you can never be satisfied. And you're headed to hell. 
You're an enemy of God right now. But here's the sweet, for God so loved you, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever, anyone, whomsoever believes in him shall never perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus came and paid the price for you and for me in his life's blood. He offers forgiveness free, eternal life, free, free gift. You come as you are. You don't need to clean up your act. Isn't that good news? You come as you are. He'll change you from the inside out. That's the good news. He offers a new life, a fresh start, a born-again life. The hope and confidence of heaven, knowing if you die today, you will be with him for eternity. That's sweet, isn't it? A relationship with him. You will not understand. You will not appreciate. You will not receive the good news until what? Until you accept the bad news. To say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch, not a good person getting good and gooder, a scumbag sinner in need of a savior. And God knew that. And what did he do? He provided a savior, our greatest need. He provided it for you and for me. So for the brother or sister that's struggling this morning, and I know there are some of you struggling. You are, this morning, you are going through hardship. I know. I've talked to some of you. I mean, number one, remind you, you're not alone. Jesus is with you. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Dad, where are you? He did that so that you would never have to say that. He's with you, whatever you're going through. Please let me remind you, you're being faithful. You're being a faithful servant of the Lord. You're being faithful in your marriage. You're being faithful with your family. You're being faithful in serving him. Let me remind you that he's working all things together for good. The bad things, the painful things, the ugly things, your bad choices, my bad choices, all of it, he is working together for good because you love him. And we love him because he first loved us. Can I remind you, just like heaven said to John, you're not done. And let me put it a different way. You're not done until he says you're done. Can I encourage you to keep fighting the good fight? To be faithful. Can I encourage you to be faithful? If you're not faithful, you know what? You may miss out on God's faithfulness. You may miss out on what he wants to do. And we know the end, don't we? Do we know the end? It's good. You can just jump to the back of the book and read it, you know. It's good news, isn't it, this morning? We know the end, where we're headed. No more pain, no more tears, no more suffering. But please listen, in order to get to that point, it's going to be difficult. It'll make you sick sometimes. It'll make you bitter. But let me remind us, you're safe and secure abiding in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much this morning that you are our strong tower, our rep.